Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Seattle Nice, the, the juicy January 7th edition of Seattle Nice, I would say, because we've got some hot goss coming up in just a minute with Erica C. Barnett and Sandeep Kaushik. And of course, we're talking about the Seattle City Council. It's just held its first meeting. There was some swearing in happening. There was some appointments happening. There's uh, rumors about who's going to get the interim appointment for this position eight. There are some names that are out there that we've all heard that are being floated for this position eight to replace Teresa Mosqueda, who's now a King County Council member. So her position opening up, and uh, there's a lot of speculation about who might fill it. Yeah, there are a lot of names floating around, and, and applications are being submitted as we speak, as we're taping on Sunday, right? App, the application window is open through next Tuesday. Just to start out, there are a lot of names out there that are being kicked around, but just to start out, I think uh, Tanya Wu, who just ran and, and lost narrowly to Tammy Morales, I think is definitely in. I talked to her last week and she told me she's going for the appointment. I'm hearing Mark Solomon, interestingly, who ran against Tammy Morales four years ago, who was a civilian but uh, civilian crime prevention officer working at SPD, is also, I'm pretty sure going for the position. Vivian Song Moritz, whose name has been out there, she's on the school board currently, has expressed interest and sounds like she's going for it, uh, though I don't have confirmation of that. Boy, there are a lot of other names out there as well. I've heard some talk of Casey Sixkiller, uh, who was recently deputy mayor. And then probably one of the most interesting, I, I should say, uh, Juan Cotto, who's been around for a long time uh, and currently does public affairs works for Bloodworks Northwest, I think is getting in. Indian American woman by the name of Neha Naraya, I think is, uh, is extremely interested and likely to get in. Her family owns the Civic Hotel. And then probably, you know, very interestingly, I'm hearing that a actual high-ranking police officer... Steve Strand, who is the West Precinct captain, uh, has expressed interest in the position and I'm hearing has some interest and support from the current council members. And so, you know, that obviously would be a a super interesting pick, uh, given the attitudes of the last council about about having somebody like that actually directly involved in the council. Uh, there are other names out there, too. But but Erica, you may have other names. Eric, I have a million questions, but but what's your reaction to Sandeep's laundry list, I guess? Long laundry list. I reported a similar laundry list in Publicola this week. I mean, my reaction is uh, it's very interesting to me that two former Tammy Morales opponents are uh, getting in because, I mean, <laughs> you know, obviously Tammy Morales uh, in District 2 is now the most progressive member of the council. She's kind of holding down the left flank um, amid this uh, this recent election that's going to really reshape the council in a more rightward direction. Um, so that's interesting to me. Um, I also heard Steve Strand over the weekend. And, you know, I mean, it'll. I, what I've heard is that uh, Sarah Nelson might be interested in, in his appointment to this position. You know, I don't know. I mean, the council, you know, Sandeep says that, that, that the council hasn't been interested in somebody like that before. I would say, you know, generally cops who have run for city council have not gone very far with the public. So it's not just, you know, the defund the police thing that uh, is is an issue here. It's this is an actual high ranking police officer 
Um, and I think that this would be, you know, incredibly controversial among, uh, you know, a large segment of the public to just put a, a police captain on the council. But uh, with this current council, with Bob Kettle uh, in charge of public safety, which we're going to talk about committees in a minute, but, um, you know, the most conservative of the folks that were recently elected in charge of public safety, perhaps advocating for Captain Strand, it's just really impossible to say what this council will do because, you know, as we've mentioned a bunch of times, they are all brand new. So we've got a majority on the council of completely new people joined by Sarah Nelson, who, you know, is very excited about their appointment and wrote an op-ed, you know, sort of talking about how this is going to reshape the council for the next four years. Um, and so we'll see. Uh, I don't know. What, Sadiq, do you think it's possible that the, they would actually appoint a police officer and a high-ranking one to the council itself? Well, just to preface my comment on this and to respond to you, Remember, Jim Pugil ran four years ago, right, um, who was a former police chief for Seattle and uh, actually garnered some support from folks, you know, that you would consider kind of on the left, you know, folks like Lisa Dugard and, and stuff like that. And and he lost Andrew Lewis, but not by a whole lot. And that that was the sort of Amazon um, impacted election where their their sort of huge contribution in the late stages of the election really changed, I think, the dynamic in some of the races, including potentially that one, I thought. There was some pretty good evidence that that Pugil might 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 have won that race. Um, absolutely. Well, for various the, reasons, I think Pugil was kind of unusual, but we we don't need to get into that. I, thing, right, and I, I will say I think it would be I, I, I'm skeptical that that Strand is going to get enough traction to actually get the appointment. That said, everyone I talk to right now, I don't think anybody has it in the bag, right? I think it's very fluid. I think there are a lot of names out there. I think a lot of the new council members are probably smartly, you know, keeping their powder dry and and are not, you know, making commitments about who they're going to support. Uh, I think they're kind of, kind of trying to assess which among this broad range of candidates would be acceptable to them and then try, sort of we'll, we'll see what the process is like. As I understand the process now, there is going to be a big curve cattle call public meeting now delayed till the 22nd um, uh, where all of the candidates will get a chance to sort of make their case. And then the council will vote on the 23rd. And you would assume with a, this many candidates that there will be a kind of um, multiple rounds of voting. Just to follow up on Erica's question, Jim Pugel sort of this reform-minded police advocate pre-2020, but after the consent decree. What about Captain Steve Strand? Do you know anything about his reputation? I'm reading his bio here. Began as a military police officer in the Army. I don't see anything here about him being a police reformer. So what's the case for Steve Strand? So in answer to your question, David, I don't know Strand. I have not met with Strand. I, I, I do think Strand has a pretty good reputation from from what I hear. And, and in terms of why would the council appoint somebody like Steve Strand? I mean, duh, public safety, right? I mean, what was this election? What was the fulcrum around which this last election rotated? It was public safety, right? And And if anything, it was a rejection of a set of commitments from the previous council and their attitudes towards public safety that has sort of led to a kind of near sweep of more moderate candidates who are coming in who kind of want to do a reset. And so I think appointing somebody like Captain Strand would be, uh, you know, a clear indication that, you know, things are changing on that front, on that fr- on that front and center issue, right? Uh, that said, I'm I'm still 
skeptical that that even this more moderate council is going to go in that direction. I mean, I, I like I said, I don't think there's some clear front runner here or we know what the outcome's going to be. I think it could go I think it's very unpredictable because I think there's going to be multiple rounds of voting and a lot of different candidates and we're going to have to kind of wait and see how the council members sort of sort of play it out. Um so who knows? Maybe we will have a current high-ranking police officer who's going to transition over and join the council. I I I wouldn't rule it out. Erica, I see he has a degree in sociology from the University of Washington. So there's that. What do you think about, I mean, Sandeep seems to think it's obvious why they're electing or or they would potentially nominate a cop to this position. I mean, he's the political analyst here, but just what do you think? I mean, it, it, you, you sort of hinted earlier that you think it could be a mistake for this council perhaps to overplay its hand by going in that direction, sort of doubling down and saying, Sandeep's sort of implying they have a law and order mandate. Of course, they're embracing a police officer for the position if they do, if they end up doing that. What do you think? Well, I, I, I agree with Sandeep that it's pretty, um, you know, up in the air or too, leaning too unlikely that they would just appoint an outright pop. Um, but, you know, like I said before, this, this council is completely unpredictable, um, because in the sense that they are all new. So we don't know what kind of actions they are going to take as a council overplaying their hand. I mean, yeah, I think there will be a huge segment of the population that will have a problem with having somebody who was just the West Precinct camp captain on the council. But I think that Strand has has shown, has made some indications over the weekend, um, you know, removing all his social media profiles. It's kind of interesting and that, that he's serious. So, I mean, we'll see if it's just uh, Bob Kettle advocating for it. You know, I could see somebody else being sort of a compromise. You know, Mark Solomon, who's associated with the police, but is not himself a cop. Uh, might be a compromised position. Uh, but, you know, really, I mean, at this point, it's anybody's guess. Everybody's sort of throwing around names, but we have no idea how this council is going to uh, going to vote. And to a point you made a few minutes earlier about the the process uh, and the rescheduling of this, this cattle call meeting, I mean, that's kind of ridiculous, right? Like, they're going to have this cattle call meeting where they interview everybody. It's by that point, going to be probably a foreordained conclusion about who they're going to vote for the very next day. So um, the process itself seems a little less than transparent. Now, that has always been true of these appointment processes. They're not really something that the public gets much of a say in or gets to see much, you know, transparency into. But, you know, you got to figure they've got their favorites lined up already and it's going to, you know, be a bargaining session behind the scenes uh, about who they're going to ultimately be able to compromise on. I don't know that that it's all going to kind of sort itself out neatly kind of in in some smoky back room and that they'll know by the time they get to the 23rd who the winner's going to be. I think it could be still wide open when they start voting, right? Um the last time we had an appointment, I think it went through five rounds of voting and there were multiple candidates that looked like they were on the cusp of getting to five votes in various rounds until it was uh, Abel Pacheco that I think it was on the fifth round that he he garnered the the support he needed. So we could see a, a, a reprise of a kind of scenario like that, given that, as Erica, as you say, we've got a lot of new council members who don't want to who maybe don't want to go out on a limb and maybe want to you know, play it a little cautiously and kind of see how things develop before they commit to one person or other. other. I will say one candidate that I do think probably has some momentum going into this is Tanya Wu. Uh, Tanya was just, as I we mentioned earlier, the candidate that recent in this last election lost to Tammy Morales. She has significant support 
I mean, really deep support in the CID and in the Asian community. There's been a petition that the Asian community has gotten behind advocating for Tanya's appointment. I do think there are some council members I have talked to who, you know, were on the campaign trail with Tanya as they were themselves running and like her. And so I would not be, I would not be at all shocked to see to see Tanya potentially come out of this with the appointment. The other thing to consider here, though, is that everything I hear from council members is that they want to appoint somebody who is going to be a strong candidate in November, right? Because whoever gets appointed has to get, there's going to be an election this November, a special election for that seat. And so they're not only going to have to like govern, but they're going to have to run for the office as well. And if, it is a moderate appointee, which I think is likely. I don't think anybody kind of coming out of the left lane is going to get much traction with this council. There's nevertheless going to be a strong challenge electorally from somebody, you know, to the left. So that's going to be a battle, right? And we talked about it last week in a presidential year election with high turnout, et cetera. Oh, and by the way, we got something wrong last week. We should correct. Sandeep's rumor turned out to be false that there would be no primary, thought that there might not be a primary. It turns out there will be a primary. Is that confirmed, David? That is confirmed as of Thursday or Friday. I can't remember which. There was a, there was certainly a lot of confusion about it in, internally among election officials. But yeah, it seems like they're, they're resolving that by saying there will be a primary. So Tanya Wu, she's got support. I mean, this is also a candidate who just lost. Erica, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think Tanya Wu may may very well get the appointment, but I don't think it's because she has like the universal support of the quote unquote Asian community. She has the support of the people that supported her during her campaign, the people like Matt Chan, um, an activist in the CID who um, was very much, you know, sort of part of the homeless megaplex, you know, anti-homeless shelter crowd that um, Tanya Wu was part of. Last year. And so there is certainly a segment of the population that supported her, but not enough for her to win election against Tammy Morales. You know, I think it's it, it's a little insulting to put somebody who just lost the election onto uh, the council. Um, it's sort of, you know, overturning an election um, very shortly after the election itself and, you know, arguably putting her in an even bigger position because this seat is citywide. It's not district based. So she would be representing the whole city. I think that that, too, would be, you know, potentially a real liability for her in the general election. You know, as we discussed last week uh, in 2024, it's going to be a big uh, pr- uh, presidential turnout year and uh, generally, uh, you know, more progressive turnout in Seattle in those big elections. So, you know, as a a moderate or conservative on some issues candidate, you know, who is not well known citywide uh, might not be the strongest contender for a citywide seat in a presidential election year. So, you know, I would I would think that the council would be considering that, you know, as they decide whether she's really their best bet. I also wonder, Sandeep, whether or not in a presidential election year where we know local elections are getting more and more nationalized, if the issue of crime will just play a little bit differently than it did this year in 2024, for whether it's Tanya Wu or another kind of law and order type candidate. Well, first of all, I I, I contest that, that Tanya Wu or any of them are really, quote unquote, law and order type candidates. I think that those are, that's your term or Erica's term. But um they're certainly not part of the sort of abolition defund like wing. That's for sure. Um, well, uh, that that well, let's just let's just embraced. let's just have as a baseline that we are in Seattle, and like instead of okay. in, endlessly debating that, like we're in Seattle, they're conservative for Seattle, right? 
They, I, I reject the term conservative straight off oh the bat gosh. because it's a deliberate attempt to kind of associate these candidates with 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 the national meaning of the term no, that it's is not. used by the left to to to, nah. to color people's perceptions of it. Nah. They are, you want to call them centrist or moderate? Sure, so, you I mean, know I think that's and reasonable. Calling that them have come into vogue in recent years, uh, you know, from the political class. Uh, but I mean, it, conservative for Seattle is something that I was writing back in two thousand one. It's uh, like, I mean, g- g- go back. <laughs> you're, you're acting like conservative for Seattle is some new, uh, in vogue term that came into, you know, into fashion with Donald Trump. But actually the centrist moderate stuff is your guys play. And when I say your guys, no. I mean the political class. A- anyway, a- a- anyway, whatever. I, <laughs> no, I reject the term. Right. Conservative. Well, I actually, I, I actually, a- I actually think in the context of my question was just, in a presidential election year where we know that local politics has become increasingly nationalized, by which I mean voters are actually only interested in it insofar as it's a reflection of what's happening federally. Like there's very little local interest. We know this from the data and the research, right? In in presidential election years, that's how people are interpreting local politics more so than in in our case, local election years. So that's that's my question. Like whether whether you want to call it law and order or not, like yeah. Would it be filtered through a law and order lens, I guess, in a presidential election year? I don't know that it's particularly like that there's going to be a different ideological lens. There is a, certainly a long time between now and, you know, the election in November, almost a year. So a lot of things could change about where the voters themselves are. But David, to your point, I do think the fact that this is a presidential year election does have some profound impacts on this. Turnout in Seattle is going to be you know, probably north of 85%, which is a very, very different electorate, right, than you typically have in a municipal year election. And I think that that while I have argued in the past, I think correctly, that higher turnout doesn't necessarily mean that the electorate skews more left. I do think when you get up to turnout levels like that, when you're very likely seeing very large numbers of younger voters and low-frequency voters coming out in an election and those voters, as we know from past Seattle experience, tend to tilt more left. So I do think whoever the kind of moderate or centrist or to use Erica's, I think, you know, you know, biased terminology conservative candidate is, uh, they're going to have a challenge holding that seat, right? It's going to be a battle. Like it's, it's not at all, um, a done deal. And, and, and yeah, in the context of very high turnout, um, and, as you say, a lot of the the media oxygen and public attention is going to be focused elsewhere. It's unpredictable what's going to happen in that November election. I think that's why a lot of the council members are trying to do that calculus. And I would say of all the field of many candidates, and there are other names out there too, um, uh, Sarah uh, Reneveld, who just ran for county council, I think is a name that might might get into this thing as what I've heard. But but anyway, most of them don't have a whole lot of campaign experience or or campaign success, as Erica said. So I do think that's going to be a question mark that that they're going to be considering as they make this appointment. Yeah, yeah, very much so. All right, enough about elections and appointments and position eight. I mean, how much does position eight really matter anyway? There's nine council members. It's just, it's interim <laughs> appointment. Uh, it's let's talk about, let's talk about committee appointments. This, some exciting news here. Erica, you've been covering this. I noticed uh, posi- before we get to it, position eight, I was, I want to ask about that at the end, because it seems like 
they they stuck some stuff with position eight uh like city light and stuff i'm curious why they would do that but but what do you think um of these is one of the more interesting or exciting appointments that we saw well, interesting, I would say, is the decision to appoint Bob Kettle, again, um, conservative by Seattle standards, District 7 uh, winner, uh, defeated Andrew Lewis, as public safety chair. You know, he is definitely in the law and order camp by any standard. I interviewed him and he talked about, you know, ending Seattle's culture of permissiveness and, uh, you know, sort of uh, doing something to crack down on uh, drug users in public and, you know, not talking about, uh, you know, the lefty stuff like diversion, but uh, the very, you know, <laughs> law and order type stuff like uh, putting people in jail uh, to, you know, shake some sense into them. So, you know, he's going to be in charge of the committee that oversees everything to deal with public safety from how much the city invests in diversion to, you know, how it enforces the drug law to uh, things like uh, advocating for more police hiring. And so I think that um, that is a really interesting choice. Um you know, he, uh, I think, was a, somebody who was not originally expected to win, but Andrew Lewis ran a weak campaign and, uh, you know, made a decision uh, on the drug law vote to uh, sort of flip-flop, which became a huge campaign issue. So, um, so yeah, so now Bob Kettle is going to be in charge of public safety. Uh, Kettle is also in charge of the uh, Let Everyone Advance it With Dignity um, committee, or he's going to be, sorry, not in charge, but on the committee that oversees that diversion program. That position was previously held by Lisa Herbold, and they have, you know, very uh, divergent views, I think, on public safety. The other uh, appointment that I wanted to just point out is um, to a regional committee, which is the King County uh, Regional Homelessness Authority Committee. Um, Again, Bob Kettle is going to be on that governing board. And these are, you know, some pretty influential positions that he's being appointed to. Uh, The other person that's going to be on the board from the city council is uh, Sarah Nelson. So, We've got, again, um, two of the more conservative for Seattle standards uh, council members overseeing homelessness and uh, and public safety. And homelessness, uh, just last thing on the committees for me, is that homelessness is no longer its own committee. So there's no longer a homelessness committee uh, on the city council. There is a housing committee that's going to be headed up by Kathy Moore. And there's no longer a renter's rights committee, which was a project of Shama Sawant. Um, renter's rights are no longer on uh, any specific committee agenda. Yeah, I mean, some of how they sliced and diced, right? I mean, it's not just who got the appointment. First of all, we should also mention here that we also elected Sarah Nelson, the president of the council, right, with a 9-0 unanimous vote, right? And I do think that's a strong indication of the fact that not only did Bruce Harrell emerge as a big winner out of this last election, but Sarah Nelson did as well. And Sarah, as we know, is a sort of a bet noir of the left. Um, uh, When that vote happened and she was – she was elected the new president of the council. There was a lot of gnashing of teeth and wailing and moaning um, on Twitter about how this is terrible and the end of the world, you know, and, and the evil Sarah Nelson has won. So obviously she's, she doesn't have a lot of fans on the, on the left, but, um, but she did, she did go out on a limb in this election to advocate for candidates, including against some of her colleagues, uh, Bob Kettle being the, the prime example of that. And, and it paid off. And uh, yeah, she's she's council president and now is going to wield significant authority over the direction that the council takes in this in this new iteration. One thing I will one other thing I will add here is when I look at these this sort of lineup and these new council committees, one thing that stands out to me is that it really does feel like the power of organized labor, which wielded enormous power and influence with the last council, is 
very significantly reduced here. And when you look at this lineup of new council members and the committees they have, you know, I think the dynamics of sort of stakeholder interplay about how these committees works is going to be very, very different. I I will just say, I mean, Sarah Nelson wrote an op-ed in the Seattle Times, you know, basically saying, here's what I'm, well, the headline is, here's what I'll change at at City Hall as council president. And, you know, a a lot of it is just sort of a standard issue. Um, You know, I'm not going to kowtow to special interests, which I assume includes stuff like organized labor. Instead, I'll listen to the non-special interests of business. Uh, and, um, and, and she also says, you know, that the council is going to focus, uh, not on finding new taxes, but on budget cuts, which, you know, I mean, council president is somewhat, uh, a ceremonial role, except in terms of, you know, figuring out what the committees look like at the beginning of the term and then, uh, figuring out what legislation goes to committee. And it's also sort of council member wrangling. I think it'll be really interesting, as I've said before, to see how this council thinks they're going to deal with a 200 to $250 million deficit without raising any new taxes. As I've also said, you know, uh, the budget is a document that has a constituency for every single dollar. And, uh, you know, Nelson has uh, indicated, you know, that her priority is hiring more police. Uh, a lot of the other council members who were just elected have, have indicated that this is also their priority. So these are these are fundamentally conflicting aims. I mean, if you're going to spend more money on police and cut $250 million from the budget and not raise taxes, uh, you're talking about cutting a lot of stuff that is going to have a very vocal constituency and not just on the quote unquote left but, you know, among people who are trying to solve the very problems that this council says it wants to solve, like homelessness, like the fentanyl crisis, like crime. And so, you know, I, I think we're in a honeymoon period right now with this council. And I think that they, they have a lot of really, really tough problems to solve. And, you know, meanwhile, they're going to spend the first 20 days or so figuring out who their first appointee is going to be. Um, on Monday, uh, they have their first council briefing meeting where they're going to get a briefing on just some really basic stuff about how laws are made and things like that. So they're, they're starting at a significant informational deficit, I would say, and uh, with a lot of big promises that, uh, you know, I think they're going to have to actually demonstrate how they're going to fulfill pretty fast here. I would say that if I had been waving a magic wand or advising, you know, Sarah Nelson on that op-ed, I I probably wouldn't have gone, uh, you know, as far as she did in kind of, kind of ruling out new revenue. I mean, look, I do think there is a strong perception on the new council that previous councils have been, um, you know, uh, if, uh, the budget committee has been run by Teresa Mosqueda, who sort of wouldn't, you know, has, has, you know, the, the, the sort of classic Teresa formulation is when anybody ever mentioned changing anything or cutting anything is, you know, no austerity budgets, right? That, that has been the, the mantra, right? From the previous council. I think that era is dead. And I do think it's going to be largely budget cuts that are, are, are going to be the way that they're going to resolve this, but can they do it entirely with budget cuts? I wouldn't put a marker down on that yet. I do think the math is difficult and these are thorny problems that they're facing. And I would kind of probably leave a little bit of leeway at this early stage, but that's obviously not how, how Sarah sees it or how, how she's playing it. One other thing I will bring up here and Eric, I'm curious about your perceptions of this. I'm going to be watching what happens over at council central staff, right? These are the sort of policy and other staff that are behind the scenes, you know, you see them kind of come brief the council when they're talking about various policy issues about why does this 
ordinance being shaped the way it is. And they're supposed to really be the council's, um, you know, kind of nonpartisan objective sort of policy advisors. And I think there's been a perception, uh, which I think is true in recent years, that ca- that council central staff, at least some elements of council central staff, have become pretty ideological, right, and pretty left-leaning, and their sort of analysis and and reports on legislation have been fairly tilted and I know that's been a concern of, for instance, Council President Nelson at times. And so I'm going to be very curious to see how Council Central staff changes or how it operates going forward. Yeah, I mean, she's going to have, uh, you know, obviously influence over that. Um, central staff is unionized, but, you know, I, I won't disagree with the, with that point. There have been some very high profile analyses, including the analysis uh, of the uh, the drug law, which, you know, as as an opponent of that law personally, um, I sort of delighted in reading. But that has been controversial. Um, so, you know, we'll see. I think that central staff does, you know, it has seen some turnover in recent years. And I, I certainly wouldn't agree that, you know, I think there are some more right-leaning members of central staff on issues that uh, probably don't get as much play on this podcast or in the public in general. But, uh, you know, that is that is a really interesting question and one that kind of goes under the radar because central staff is, you know, an obscure part of the uh, the deep state of the city. But, I will also say their institutional knowledge is going to be really critical right now as, you know, as I mentioned, this council sort of is finding out, you know, many of them sort of finding out how the city works for the first time uh, in detail. How many how many existing staffers are uh, on that point are are managing to hang on in terms of institutional knowledge? Erica, have you been tracking that or talking to folks who worked for existing council members or is it kind of ideological turnover. Oh, I think it's, yeah, I think it's huge turnover. I mean, even Tammy Morales, um, the uh, the most longstanding veteran on the council, um, is is seeing turnover in her staff. So, uh, and when I say veteran, I mean two terms. Um, so that's that's the council we're talking about. But yeah, I mean, every everybody else is bringing in their own staff, you know, campaign staff and, you know, people that supported them. And that's that's standard. Yeah, the the actual, you know, staff for each council member, you know, each of the new council members has been out there sort of frantically trying to, you know, figure out their three or four positions that they were going to have that directly are in their office and report to them. Um, Yeah. So uh, and I do think there's going to be there aren't going to be there may be a handful of holdovers of L.A.'s, you know, working for for previous council members that might uh, stay on 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 staff, but it is going to be a really significant change on that front as well. But David, I wanted to ask you, going back to the council central staff question, didn't you have a story a few few months ago that sort of pointed out um, some of the issues that, that that we were just talking about around council central staff? And um, is it worth mentioning that? I, you know, yeah, I, I had questions about the, the central staff's reporting on rent control. It, it seemed to leave out some pretty relevant facts specifically that St. Paul, Minnesota had had a very similar rent control law and then decided to abandon it because it appeared that housing starts plummeted after they passed it. And if you remember, I don't want to get too detailed here, but the the rent control bill Salwant was proposing was essentially first-generation rent control that didn't exempt any new construction, I think was the formulation. And, and one of the reasons that was abandoned was concerns that it might affect the housing market essentially. So that initial report at least seemed a little bit light on that point, but I don't know anything about, you know, your larger point about whether or not 
there are ideological things driving central staff. I do know, I mean, they're supposed to operate the same way that the Congressional Budget Office does. And it's, you know, uh, the the general public, like, hears those reports. If you, if you sit in on council meetings, those of us who are reporters do, but the public's there too, listening to these things. And, and they're, they're sort of quoted as if they're as neutral as possible, you know, that you're just getting good information so that people can govern well. And so if it's true that they're not doing that, that to me, that that would be a problem as a reporter because I rely on that information too. And when it's not there, it could be problematic. But I also know, I just, one other thing I would say is they're also busy, they're overworked. So sometimes there's stuff that just doesn't end up in those reports, maybe for that reason. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think that is true of any report produced by any department in the city, not just the legislative department. I mean, I have recently been covering the uh, the tree ordinance, and I think there have been competing reports on that. And, you know, the uh, the city is, you know, was embroiled in what is effectively a court case at the hearing examiner, arguing, uh, you know, that, that the tree ordinance needed no further environmental review and it had no impacts based on, you know, what I would consider some pretty biased reporting from a city department. So I I think it's worth, you know, always being aware as reporters and as just, you know, citizens of Seattle that human beings are producing the stuff that comes out of the city. And, you know, it's not the budget office. Um, The budget office does produce, you know, uh, pretty unbiased reports. Um, We now have two competing budget offices because of disputes over that, I'd say. But but in any case, I mean, I just I, I think that Lots of reports come out of lots of places that are biased. The Federal Congressional Budget Office is supposed to be completely nonpartisan and, 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 and still has a good reputation for being nonpartisan. You don't hear either side really com- complaining much about their reporting. So hearing that here in Seattle, yeah, what is going on? And I, I don't think it's like other departments. The, it, it's, there, there's no other department whose job it is is to create – neutral nonpartisan reports other than central staff that I know of. Is there? Well, there's the budget projections office too, right? Right. That ben Noble runs and yeah. But anyway, Erica, you, you were going to say I, something. I mean, I would say yeah. every department is supposed to create uh, nonpartisan reports on things like environmental impacts. I mean, I was thinking of the Department of Construction and Inspections, which has been, you know, over the years, like a pretty, not ideological, but they certainly have a view. um, And that, Mm -hmm. you know, typically reflects the Mm. mayor's view, the mayor is an elected official, uh, you know, so I I just think like, let's not, let's not be naive and and think that like central staff is the only thing that's the only department that's ever, you know, biased on anything. And, And like I said, I mean, central staff, um, it's really it's varied uh, over the years a lot and over the issue areas, you know, where they're sort of I mean, I don't even want to call it bias, but I think that in some cases, you know, the person writing the report has a perspective. But I think that's that's something that we as reporters are sort of responsible for parsing and looking at. And 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 when there is I mean, as you said, like with this with this report that you uh, you were reporting on, it was pretty obvious to you where the bias was, correct? <laughs> like, you know, you can you can parse that. Well, That's kind of our job. I, just- no, I mean, the, the thing is, I wasn't aware of the fact that there was this St. Paul law. And it was kind of just buried and not even really mentioned in the report. And it was just so incredibly relevant. And again, like, it seems like their job is to present relevant information so that the people we elect to make decisions can make those decisions. Their job isn't to kind of tilt the the scales so that people have a harder time making those decisions. I oh, don't yeah, know. I totally agree. I totally agree. I also, I also feel like I wonder if it's, it, it isn't just business as usual. Yes. People aren't, there's no such thing as objectivity. There's no such thing as mm-hmm. true neutrality, but there is something, there is professional integrity 
to, to David's point, and this is something I was thinking as well. Yes, there's something like implicit bias, and we should always be aware of it and sort of unintentional, unintentionally, these are human beings writing reports and stuff. I don't think that's the criticism that's being leveled right now, at least that I'm leveling right now. At so be specific. What are, you, that, what are you talking about? I think that there has been a tilt at Council Central staff that that they should be producing analysis that conforms to, you know, what was the the ideological commitments of the previous council, right, on a whole series of things. And so I don't think it was David may not want to say this, but I will say it. I think it was a very deliberate effort on the rent control stuff to like tailor the analysis to support Sawant's proposed law without unearthing any of the countervailing or negative information about the consequences of what that law might be. And I I think that sometimes there have been times, I think, sometimes where council central staff, that has become kind of the de facto policy about how they operate. And that they're there to push an ideological agenda and not there to produce, you know, objective analysis, right? Well, I think this is kind of like Sarah Nelson saying that, you know, that she's not going to let special interests have any influence at the council. And then in the very next paragraph, citing the Seattle Metropolitan Chamber of Commerce as a source of truth. um, (laughs) You know, I think that there's going to be bias or, you know, implicit bias or, you know, explicit bias among people who are appointed by council president, uh, for example, to do these jobs. So, you know, if uh, if you think that this is now going to that, that we've ushered in a new era of neutrality because there's no such thing as conservatism in the city of Seattle, even for Seattle standards, and all they are is neutral moderates. You know, let's let's talk in a year, and I can probably produce some reports that you know appear biased to me towards this council's positions. Uh, that you know, that I'm really not- interested to see. That's great. That would be great. But to great. be super clear here, I'm I'm just saying it's going to be interesting to see what happens to the to, to council central staff, right? I mean, if in a year from now they're producing biased reports in the other direction, you know, we should be p- pointing that out. But right now, I think over the last few years, I think there's a there's a pretty strong perception that the bias is running. It, well, that, that there's it, a pretty there strong perception is insinuation, Sandy. If you've given an example, both, well, of you uh, given, right. both of you have given an example of one report on rent control and the rent control measure never went into effect. So the report had no well, you, impact You whatsoever. just brought up the report on the drug law. Like you, that you, you, you just said yourself, like was controversial and seemed pretty well, uh, tilted. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, what, I guess what a, if, if, if it were conservative, a more conservative leaning council were to ask for a report on that law, you know, it would probably reflect Ann Davison's position and Sarah Nelson's position a little more, which is a focus on some of the problems that are perceived as coming from drug use. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think if, if that re- report was produced today, it would be positive toward the drug law and focus on that those aspects rather than, you know, the downstream problems of putting people in jail and the lack of jail capacity and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, definitely different uh, different appointees uh, focus on different things. I mean, News at 11, I, I don't think that this council is going to be any different. I just think that their particular uh, goals and focuses are going to be different. That, see, that's interesting because I guess my question would be, does it become more like the Congressional Budget Office, you know, if it's true, if it's true that there's been a bit of an ideological shift, which, which again, I'm not saying, or is it that central staff sees itself as essentially writing reports for the council members who are sponsoring that legislation? And that's part of what's really going on here. It's less of personal, individual, ideological agendas and simply like saying, 
I'm not creating neutral reports. I'm working for Sawant. This is her legislation. So I'm going to write a report that reflects that. And as you're saying, are we now going to see a report that reflects the Sarah Nelson Chamber of Commerce point of view, in which case, you know, charges of ideological bias will seem kind of silly. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I could also point you to a lot of extremely boring neutral reports on a lot of things. Yes. I mean, if you yeah. you watch council yeah, meetings, you've, you've heard too. these, you've heard these, yes. you've heard these reports, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's not it's not like it's all one thing or another. Totally, and I think you're That's right. right. I don't want to overstate my accusation here. I don't think it's like a bunch of like Twitter left activists are now you know kind of kind of in charge of the asylum over at council central staff. That said, I will say from my dealings. With the city on a whole bunch of like, you know, down in the weeds for a sort of policy stuff, I have definitely seen a shift in recent years in terms of the the thrust of the work that Council Central staff is doing in, in ways that I would say, you know, uh, yeah, there, there's still a lot of good work that comes out there that's that's facially neutral and, you know, and 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 comprehensive and and I don't want to disparage and there are good people there too, right? But I also have seen other examples, you know. Enough other examples of stuff that looks just really directly. The analysis is tailored to the outcome that's that's wanted, right? And I, I I would like to, in terms of basic norms of good governance, that would be good if they fix that. Now, if they overdo it and go in the other direction, then we should call them out on that too. I mean, I've also seen examples of central staff um, effectively sort of trying to discourage bad ideas or unworkable ideas, and I mean that is that is. I would say part of the role of central staff, I mean, maybe that's a bias, but part of the role of central staff, as I said, as I, you know, said jokingly, the uh, the deep state of the city is like when people, you know, <laughs> propose off the wall things that won't work, it's their job to produce reports that basically say, you know, in very boring terms, this is unworkable. Which which they did not do with the, <laughs> say with that they, rent they control might, legislation. They did with that, but they did with a lot of other stuff, David, over, yes. the, over you yes. know, the last couple terms. So I um, agree. Look, yeah. From my perspective, this is a uh, just to pull back a little bit I mean and we saw this with the swearing in and the speeches we saw from the new council members I mean this is a big sea change in terms of the the the, the culture and the ideology and the operations and who knows what all else of the Seattle City Council I mean it is definitely a shift in a different direction and it's going to be super interesting to see how all of this plays out, particularly as Erica said, they're going into a a landscape that's pretty complicated and full of difficult challenges. So how's that all going to play out? TBD. Yeah. Uh, I, I just want to say, I, I kind of agree with Erica that I'll, I'll be waiting and seeing, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, Sarah Nelson's piece in the, in the Seattle times kind of, there was stuff in there about sort of almost like the end of ideology. I, you know, this represent we're ushering in an end of ideology, and uh, yeah, well, I guess we'll wait and see if that's what ends up happening. Well, I'm not going to wait and see on that. I think the council has an ideology. <laughs> that's what they got elected for, and we're going to see that ideology play out. <laughs> oh, that's it for another edition of Seattle Nice. Erica gets the last word. That's Erica C. Barnett of Publicola. He was Sandeep Kashik. I'm David Hyde. We also have editing from Quinn Waller. Thanks to Quinn. And thanks to all of you who have been supporting Seattle Nice by going to Patreon slash Seattle Nice and joining up with a monthly membership, whatever amount is right for you. We had some generous $10 and $15 a month contributions just in the last week. So thanks 
bunch of folks were able to afford that. But really, any amount would be fantastic if you're able to support Seattle Nice. Again, it's at uh, Seattle Nice slash Patreon. And to everybody else who can't afford to contribute, thanks so much for listening. 